Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. I'm loving the spring. My energy is bouncing all over the place. Sometimes I'm on fire. And other days, I don't know if you ever feel this, but gravity is holding on and I can barely keep my eyes open. The other day I was like, Tim, I'm taking a nap. I never nap. And I just went in and closed my eyes and I was out. So for those days when you don't have time to nap, it's a good thing we have caffeine, right? You all know I'm a big caffeine lover, although I try not to do too much of it, but I love it when I do it. And actually caffeine and coffee in particular is an awesome segue because today's guest, Liz Warner, also loves and embraces her coffee, which she clearly needs to keep her momentum as she quests to run 30 marathons in 30 countries before she turns 30. So if she was still 20, this would be an awesome and cool and epic endeavor. But what makes her... (laughs) exciting epic endeavor even more cool is that she decided to start this effort when she was in her late 28s so she had just over a year to do it so here's the deal liz had already run seven or eight marathons in a diverse range of countries and she was at a crossroads in her professional and personal lives and So what she did, she did a little soul searching and she decided to combine her love for running, travel, and helping other cultures by creating a fairly short term, like I said, just over a year, and quite ambitious project that she calls Run to Reach. So Liz has identified 20 local nonprofits in the final 20 countries she's going to run a marathon in to raise awareness and funding as she runs through them. So when I first learned about Liz and Run to Reach, I was I was sort of like, oh, I wonder which, you know, US marathon she's doing. So I went on her website, runtoreach.com, and looked at her marathons, and then I realized there isn't a marathon in the US. Duh, this isn't about doing the big name races that are totally professionally put together in communities that already have lots of support. This is about showcasing places in the world that are absolutely stunning and need more support and specifically more empowerment for women to share their stories and build on their strengths and help make this world a better place. Um, Liz is just such a beautiful soul who is clearly following her heart to help others. I'm excited to share her story with you. I think you'll resonate with different parts of her journey depending on where you are in your life. But before she comes on, I want to thank you for your support of this awesome podcast. I cannot believe that I'm going on three years. I did a little trip down memory lane and wanted to share a few little tidbits with you. So my first interview, three years ago, was with my friend Carrie Gilmartin, who's the founder of a company called Bamboobies. I told her I want to do a podcast. I thought she should come on. And she said, let me help you do this first interview because you're going to have to shake out the kinks. So I'm going to be that person. (laughs) So she did. It took us three tries to get the recording to work. But when we did, we nailed it right out of the gate. When I listened to that one, I'm like, wow, we just had such a good flow. Here's the cool thing about Carrie. She just sold her company and is traveling around the world as we speak with her husband and three kids. I'm so proud of her. Um, You need to go back and listen to that one, actually, because of her past inability to sell a company. Like, it was a crazy situation. And so to see today that she's, uh, she's in such a good place is so inspiring. I had another episode probably in like year one, year and one and a half with a woman named Allison Teal who had been on that Naked and Afraid show. (laughs) She was not naked or afraid when doing the podcast. Um, We did the entire episode. She was in a hotel room in LA, 
only to realize afterward when I went to play back the track that her track never played. It was just me talking. So this was like rookie mistakes and they happened throughout the process. She so graciously gave me another hour of her time. Um, I vowed then to do as many in-person interviews as possible, which is not always possible, but I try. When I interviewed Catherine Switzer, one of my first interviews, she told me about a project that she was about to launch. So we edit the whole thing, get it up. We're rookies, but we do it only to have her call me a day later and say, oh my gosh, I wasn't supposed to talk about that. Can you cut it out? And I was like, cut it out. It's already out there. I don't know how to do that. But Tim so expertly figured it out because you can pretty much figure out anything. And uh, he did the cut. We reposted it. No one really caught it. But the first episode that went viral was Kara Burns from Prison to 26.2. I swear every time I refresh, there were like 100 new listens. I just love sharing important stories that I know are going to help other people. Um, Episode, I think, five. I talked about erectile dysfunction with Rip Esselstyn. And afterward... Not only did we have the best time at the interview, of course, we talked about erectile dysfunction, but afterward, he told me that I was the best interviewer he'd ever had, which completely helped my confidence, even if he wasn't serious, but I think he was. But that's a big thing. Confidence is important when we're trying new things. You know, I'm just so grateful to have had this beautiful learning curve with so many incredible people. This will be episode 127. And I'm still growing and learning as I go. I uh, recently created a Patreon account. This is an account that allows people to help support artists, including podcasters, which I guess we're considered artists. Um, I want to reach a point where the podcast can sort of pay for itself and take care of itself so I can do this for the long term. And so people who find this work important and get something out of what I put out there in the world are supporting me with the podcast with anywhere from two to 20 bucks a month, whatever feels right to you. Plus you can stop anytime. It's not like you're committed for life. <laughs> you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backs, backslash Nicole DeBoom. Thank you for supporting me and thank you for the people who are already supporting me. It makes just, it make it means the world to me. All right, then let's get back to the show and let's get Liz Warner and her quest for 30 on 30 on 30 on the show. Oh my gosh, Liz, this is so cool. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm I'm super excited. So is this is your very first ever podcast? This is my very, very first ever podcast. And I'm such a podcast junkie that it feels kind of surreal. (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, so I'm, I could not be more excited. Is it like more exciting or nerve wracking than standing at the starting line of a marathon? <laughs> you know, actually I have to say it's sort of a similar feeling where you never know if you're going to, I mean, I think we'll make it to the end of this interview, but you know, you never know if, you know, you're going to stumble along the way, if, et cetera. So it um, kind of feels the same a little bit. Oh, that is so funny. Well, definitely make sure you don't bonk. I hope you have like your fair share of fuel and nutrition by your side. Yes, yes, absolutely. I have a lot of water and coffee, et cetera, all the essentials. Oh, wow. Well, you know, we're, we're doing this interview because you're doing this phenomenal, like groundbreaking, amazing effort to run 30 marathons in 30 countries to raise money for charities all before you turn 30. Yes, correct. <laughs> and you correct. and you primarily drink water and coffee? <laughs> I do drink I drink a lot of coffee. It's um it's sort of my my vice. Um but yes, I, I also eat as well on the side. Um but but yes, I mean I, I also drink a lot of water to compensate for all the fluids I lose from drinking so much coffee. So it's um it's a nice little little mix. <laughs> well, that's so funny because um, you know, right here, right in this, you know, first little tidbit, I'm getting the sense for the fact that you're just sort of a real person. You know, you do things (laughs) like drink coffee, but then again, you did call it a vice. So what's so wrong with that? Why do you feel like it's a vice? Um, you know, I personally, 
choose to read articles that say coffee is really good for you. But um, but sometimes when I tell people how many coffees or cups of coffee I drink per day, you know, sometimes I get a few um, eyebrow raises. But um, but I mean, it's something I I don't really feel too bad about. I eat very healthy for the most part too. So um, so no, I mean it's it's not advice, but but I definitely do do not drink coffee in moderation, I should say. Okay, well then let's just stick on this topic for one more second. How many yes. cups of coffee do you drink in a day, you know, when you're just like your average day? My average day. I mean, I try to keep it at four cups. Um, you know, sometimes I'll have five or six, but I would say a good day for me is between three to four and I feel, and I won't feel too guilty, um, et cetera. But, but yeah, I would say around four to five is, you know, the average day. Is that bad? Well, I think not at all because, um, I am also a huge coffee fan. Okay. I switched my allegiance from alcohol to coffee many years ago, (laughs) uh, but I'm also sort of like a coffee snob. So I I don't get to talk about coffee that much on the podcast and you, you have lived all over the world. And like you're traveling all over the world. So tell me some coffee stories. Like where are you finding the best coffee? Oh, man, Nicole, I just got back from Guatemala just a few days ago. Um, I ran the marathon there last week and I spent two days visiting coffee fields and trying different coffee. And it was like one of the coolest experiences I've ever done traveling just because I'm also a self-proclaimed coffee snob as well. Um, and yeah, we sort of learned how to roast our own coffee and, you know, try to, you know, taste different beans. And it was, it was just amazing. I was freaking out the entire time. And, um, and yeah, I, you can imagine how many more kilos I had in my bag, bag bringing home as well. So, Oh my gosh. And that's so funny because I thought like when you brought a kilo of coffee, that was one of the ways that like drug smugglers hide their drugs is in like kilos of <laughs> coffee. But the coffee is the drug? I know. Yes, 100%. 100%. So you're based now, though, in Paris. I am. Um, Yeah, I moved here two and a half years ago um, for I applied uh, for a master's. And so I just completed that um, a year ago. And then I had a regular job after that for a year. And then now I'm just deciding to focus on this project for the next two years. Well, but um, let's take, um, let's take the circuitous path to Paris. Like, tell, okay. tell me a little bit about where you're actually from, and then yes. how you found yourself where you are today. Okay, Oof. it's like, it's kind of a long story. Um, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up there. Um, I do not have the Southern accent, which I'm a little bit still upset about. Uh, My parents are both from New York. Um, And I went to an international school um, where I learned French, which is also sort of how I found my way back to France later on. Um, But yeah, I went to college up in Maine, um, a small liberal arts school called Bowdoin. And um, after that, I moved to Tokyo, Japan, um, and I lived there for about five years doing all sorts of jobs and then found my way here in Paris. Um, so wait, yeah. wait, wait, we can't skip over Tokyo. Like, <laughs> yes, that's kind of a big change. Like, hey, I grew yeah. up in the States, clearly like, you know, interesting background and Bowdoin being a really cool and and wide open you know school with like embracing and accepting everything and then boom you're in Tokyo for five years what called you there um so my sister lived in Vietnam for a period of time and so I spent um, a summer during college uh, living with her and working there a bit in Ho Chi Minh City and so I don't know. I loved living in Maine, but I 
think I was always destined to live someplace a little bit crazy and outside my own outside my comfort zone. Um, so yeah, so my final year of college, I was applying to only jobs in Asia. <laughs> Shanghai and Tokyo specifically did not speak either Chinese or Japanese, but um, but I somehow landed an internship in Tokyo um, right after school, and so I just decided to go for it. Uh, and then was actually only planning to stay there for one year, um, but then met my now husband two weeks before I was supposed to move back to the States and ended up staying for four years longer in Japan. So, wow. So you were yeah. pretty young when you met your husband. I was, I was very young, actually looking back at it, I was 22. Um, and um, no, yeah, 22, just about to turn 23. And uh, yeah, he had just moved there. I was just about to move away. And so we were sort of in this, you know, crossing paths period of both of our lives. And then and then I ended up just, just staying. And um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely say living in Tokyo was were my most formative years, absolutely. And um, I think in many ways, I mean, it's where I also ran my first marathon. It's how I got into running marathons, et cetera. So, um, so yeah. So, okay. So let's talk a little more about um, like support and relationships because you yes. did mention your sister. Do you have more siblings? Like what's your family like? Yeah. So my sister is also living back in Atlanta. Um, I'm very close with her. Um, she's she's actually pregnant. And so I'm going back to spend a month in Atlanta in June um, just to meet her new baby. And um, my mom is also in Atlanta. Um, I have a brother, not super close. Um, my father actually passed away when I was in college. Um, and in many ways, I think running has sort of been a um, the main way how I, you know, coped with his death and sort of allowed, um, allowed for the grieving process to take place. Um, before, you know, I started getting into running, um, it was, it was pretty difficult for me to actually confront what had happened, um, with him passing away. And so, so yeah, so that's sort of my, my whole family situation. So when um, you mentioned that you and your brother aren't very close, but you and your sister yes. are, I know this yes. doesn't really have anything to do with your, <laughs> with your project, yeah. but yeah, I just, you know, I always wonder like, why does that happen? Was there something that happened or just, you just didn't develop as close of a bond with him? Yeah. I mean, there were definitely certain reasons. He, my brother, unfortunately, um, has been an alcoholic and a drug addict for many years. Um, and so, you know, I think I've definitely tried to put effort into our relationship, but ultimately as an addict, I think he's sort of incapable of having any sort of relationship with any of us. And he's time and time again, sort of betrayed our trust and, you know, I wish him the best, and um, I know deep down he's a very good person, but I just myself needed to create some boundaries with him. Um, and I think because I'm so close with my sister and we have each other, I think that's mm -hmm. also allowed um, for that relationship to sort of be placed on the side. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but that's that's essentially the story. Wow, and you know, that just takes so much maturity because... I mean, it's really hard to let, to just stop letting yeah. the drama, letting the negativity be in your life, especially when it's someone in your family. So yeah. I know that had to be hard and I'm glad you have um, other people to support you through, through that difficult period. Yes, absolutely. No. And, and I, I've also, I've, become very close with certain friends as well who have s similar experiences either with an addict in their family. I mean, I don't personally go to AA or um, involve myself in that, but I think also by talking to other people about similar experiences has also helped me a lot in the process. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's huge. And you know, I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, 
our goal is to get rid of toxins in our life yes, so that absolutely. we can truly be like the shining stars that we are. You know, it sounds yeah. cheesy, but it's true yeah. when yeah. when those toxins creep in and they can creep in in the form of um, alcohol or drugs or they can creep in in the form of literally like bad foods or negative yes. thoughts or yes. compulsions or whatever. So um, big kudos. The other thing that yeah, can creep you. in is uh, grief. And so yes. you mentioned your dad passing away. Um, yeah. Did he have a drawn out illness? No, it was actually similar to my brother where he also was a pretty bad alcoholic and it was just a freak accident how it how you know him passing away actually happened um so i think you know that's also made my whole brother's situation a little bit more difficult because just because it's a pattern in the family um but but yeah so wow okay so there's a lot to process there yeah and you were yeah. in college during this difficult time yes so yeah, it all happened. And, you know, I'm this type of person to really compartmentalize almost everything. Um, so it was my last year of school. And I literally went back uh, to college maybe four days later after my dad passed um, and just dove back into school, my studies, you know, a lot of partying even during that time. Um, and I think also moving to Tokyo was sort of this continuing this pattern of trying to distract myself with life and moving at a very fast paced. Um, so yeah, so that, that's sort of, um, that's sort of how it happened. So do you think you, you mentioned that, you know, you found running also during this period of your life, like in your early twenties, um, did yes. you run at all when you were a young kid or were you an athlete in any um, way? Yes. So I actually played the sport squash, um, very competitively growing up. Um, and it's actually something I did a lot with my dad. We would travel all over the U.S. and the world um, for tournaments and sort of and I played competitively in college as well. Um, after he passed, I just couldn't play the sport any longer. I quit the team my senior year. I was the captain of the varsity team um and i signed up for a half marathon and i had never before then really run more than i don't know six miles um and i i mean looking back this half marathon it was like this huge event in front of me and i was so nervous and i did it with a very close friend and it was an amazing experience um you know just feeling all the endorphins afterwards crying at the end of the race like i loved every second of it but still I wasn't very confident with my running um I took a good break after that and I didn't sign up for my first full marathon until probably like a year and a half later so wow that is so yeah. cool um, yeah I mean first of all squash that is an awesome yeah. sport it's very regional yeah. so I can see how you were like I played the sport squash because most yes, people exactly. may not know what it was um, yes. I recognize it. Of course, I had friends. I went to a, a school in the East Coast, so it was sort of a heritage sport there. And I mean, yes. badass. And you guys yeah. wore skirts. We wore skirts. Yay! Yes, which I still <laughs> own and I love and I wear them running and they're the best. No, I love squash skirts as well. And I just skirts in general exercising. Well, then we're going to have to replace those old squash skirts. I'm going to send you yes. some stuff. Oh my gosh, yes. Nicole, that would be amazing. Definitely. I love your brand and I would that would just be awesome. We'll take we'll take that uh off interview. We'll talk about it. Okay, <laughs> we'll get you cool. outfitted. Perfect. Perfect. Yay. <laughs> because when you talk about the endorphins and the emotion, I mean part of you know, what I do too is about helping people free themselves from some of the things they shouldn't really have to think about so they can embrace the other beautiful things of sport and running. Yes. So I, I understand that too. You know, I remember after my first triathlon, I finished, I went back to this little apartment I was living in in Chicago and I just remember sitting down and just breaking down and crying, but yeah. it wasn't because I was sad. Yeah. It was a release. It was the yes. endorphins. It was the emotion. Like it's over. Now what? 
Yes. Yes. The come down afterwards, we are just like, you don't even know where to begin. And Mm -hmm. again, after that, yeah. So you mentioned that um, you really then ran your first marathon in Japan. Yes, in in Tokyo. So yeah, it wasn't the official Tokyo Marathon. Unfortunately, I applied for a place in a marathon four different times, never got in. So there's actually this this marathon that takes place right outside of Tokyo and it's it's almost all local Japanese people who, you know, apply to run in the Tokyo Marathon, never get in, and so they organize this other one. Um so that was my first marathon and I mean, I was also, I don't know if you've read the Murakami book, um, what I think about when I, what is it, what I think about when I run, but um, I was reading that book when I was training for this first marathon, and again, it just, I felt, you know, those few hours of running every day were such sacred moments for myself, and it was the first time in years where I felt my mind was clear. I felt a sense of peace and almost enlightenment. <laughs> Sounds a little bit crazy, but um, but yeah, and it just it it totally changed my life um, completely after that. Well, and I love that, like the first race, you're like, it wasn't the official Tokyo Marathon. <laughs> it was sort of this like I feel bad, you know, like little was, side yeah. marathon. But I think the whole point is like not everything has to be epic to be epic. Yes. Yes. And this was epic for you. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, so was was running? You know, did this ever become about going faster? Um, you know, I think at the beginning when I signed up for my second marathon, et cetera, I was more numbers focused. You know, how many miles I was clocking in every week, um, my goal PB time, um. But then, you know, as the more marathons I ran and the more sort of experiences I endured, you know, things you cannot control in a race, I was just, you know, all of these numbers, all of these goal times just started to become less important to me. And I'm much, much more um, now uh, process oriented during my training runs, um, how I'm feeling, if I'm able to reach that incredible, you know, feeling of flow during my runs. But um, but yes, at the beginning, um, I'd say the first three, four marathons, I was very um, focused on running at a pretty fast pace. And now I'm just so happy to finish. And um, if I feel great during a marathon and during a race, I will push myself, but it's not the most important thing to me at all anymore. I love that. I mean, it takes people a long time to reach that point. A lot of times it actually takes getting older and like over the bell curve so that you'll never be as fast anymore because like that does happen, right? Most people don't get faster their whole entire lives. So at 80, they're not running faster than when they were 30. Um, So I think it's like really an interesting evolution for you that the sport called to something else in you rather than improving performance. Yes. So maybe talk a little bit about that and and it might lead into why why you're doing what you're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think, and I'm sure you can relate as well, Nicole, but, you know, and I've sort of read some articles that you've written where you talk about this, but when I run, I always come up with, you know, my most creative ideas. I feel like my mind is clear and my ideas and thoughts and creative juices are just flowing. Um, So to me, you know, even now during some of my training runs, I'll listen to podcasts. I, you know, I just, I'm not you know, of course, I want to make sure that I'm physically getting fitter and that I'm able to endure a lot of miles just so that when I do all these races, I'm ready for them. But, um, but yeah, I mean, running is so much more than just putting one like, you know, in front of the other. And, um, you know, also running has allowed me to view the world in a completely different, different way. And after my first marathon in Tokyo, I sort of thought it'd be fun to, to start running marathons in different countries in the world. Um, so 
by by signing up for a race in Lebanon, you know, I would go to these places, spend a few days, you know, learn about the culture through running. And that, I think, has been so much more of a powerful way of um, using the sport for me. Oh, for sure. So it's been like an exploration. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And, and of course, I can totally relate to the fact that your mind clears when you're moving your body. And yes. uh, I, I actually, for me, it's 20 minutes. Like yeah. 10 minutes doesn't do it. But at 20 minutes, all of a sudden, I realize I'm not thinking about anything. Yes. Is that, 100%. I don't know, what's your magic number? Oof, maybe it takes maybe a bit longer for me, to be honest. Um, I would say probably 35 minutes in. I love um, it. Everyone's yeah. got their number. <laughs> yes. Oh, that yes, is so it's funny. It's so true. Yeah. When you, uh, when you listeners repost this one, you'll have to post what your number is. What's that time it takes for your brain to totally clear out and then open up? Yes. Cool. I love it. Yes. Okay, absolutely. so so let's talk about run to reach. Yes. What and how and why did this crazy <laughs> idea happen? You know, I think I've sort of had this idea um brewing inside of me for for years. Um, you know, to do something a little bit crazy like this and um so when I told certain friends about this whole project, I don't think any of them were really that surprised, to be honest. But, um, you know, just going back, I think like many millennials after college, I was sort of hopping from job to job and never feeling like I had found that one thing I was really passionate about, that one thing I was, you know, expertly really good at. Um, but I guess the simple truth I was really confident knowing about myself was that I really loved listening to other people's stories, um, strangers' stories even. And um, I mean, you could literally, Nicole, sit down and start telling me a story about some random other person's lives. And I would enjoy sitting there listening for hours and maybe ask a million questions in the process. So um, I guess I knew that whatever I did next in my life had to somehow involve being out into the world, meeting as many people as I possibly could and listening to their stories and maybe in a way using whatever platform I created to sort of re-communicate these stories to a greater audience um, and maybe even act as the vessel through which some of these stories could gain global recognition or, you know, even the causes could gain global recognition. Um, so, yeah, so the idea of Run to Reach was born in my head about six months ago um, to travel, to run marathons in some very off-the-beaten-path places um, and try to elevate um, some of these untold stories by organizations and local people um, about their personal narrative um, often a completely different reality than what we are used to. Um, so yeah, so that's sort of a very broad way of putting, you know, how I came up with the whole, um, the whole mission. So that was like the big sort of umbrella. And then yes. you said, okay, so I kind of, I have this, I'm being pulled to helping you know, helping share important stories and messages with the world. So how yes. can I do that in a way yes. that combines your, maybe your passions and your skills, right? Yes, absolutely. So yeah, how did you, how did it form into a bunch of marathons and a bunch of countries <laughs> and the time frame? you know? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to also, so I'd already completed 10 marathons so actually this campaign is the final 20 and so instead of you know I mean I did have to all of the marathons that I'm doing for the rest of the campaign they're all organized marathons and so I sort of just for a month looked at all these different marathon calendars and chose you know, handpicked all these countries that I thought would be really interesting to go to that probably a lot of people wouldn't choose to go to um, and really spend time, you know, working, partnering with organizations there that were trying to really, you know, solve or, or help um, empower communities um, in all of these countries. So, um, 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I did notice you had 20 charities. So now this yes. makes sense. 10 had yes. been done. 20 yes. to go. I noticed that the go. United States was not on the list. And then I thought, <laughs> well, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. If you're going to do something totally out there, like go explore. So let's talk about some of these marathons. So um, what number are you on right now? So I just completed Marathon 13 last week uh, in Guatemala. Um, And the first that I did a marathon the week before that in Western Sahara. Um, And then the kickoff of the campaign in January was in Oman. So, okay. So we're talking like major cultural differences everywhere you go. Yes. Um, Are you traveling by yourself? Um, actually, I have a good number of friends who are joining me for a lot of these trips. Um, my husband is joining for a couple of them too. I would say that later in the year, I still don't have anyone, you know, signed up to join me, but, um, but actually, I, I maybe there are two, three trips that I'm traveling by myself, but the majority, I have a few friends sort of coming along. Because I was going to ask, you know, some of, I'm assuming that you're choosing places that don't have like dangerous political unrest? Um, questionable. <laughs> One of the marathons I'm choosing to do um, is in Kurdistan, Iraq. Uh, that's in October. It's a peace marathon. And what I've read about Kurdistan, Iraq is that it's very, very different from the South. Um, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent safe. You never know what could happen there. Um, but I think that is the one marathon where I feel a bit uneasy about. Um, but I also feel confident that I can find people to help me travel there too oh absolutely and you know yeah. i mean will you be dressing in like a hijab or like yes. long sleeves so i think absolutely during the day i've been told that during the marathons they they allow any sort of attire but no matter what i want to respect um sort of the cultural norms in all of these places so i I probably will be covering up and I have no problem doing that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think especially the places that I'm traveling alone to, I think it's just about being smart and being culturally sensitive to the places that you're traveling. And, um, you know, I think if you're, I think a lot of people aren't in a way when they do travel to some of these places. So I think it's just about being smart and being, you know, um, respectful of, of, you know, all of these different cultures. Yeah, I I think you're right on. Um, And that's really good to go into it knowing a little bit first. So you show up somewhat prepared. (laughs) Yeah, like, oh my gosh, I need long sleeves. I didn't even bring any, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, So with the races you've already done, first of all, there will be a link in the show notes here, but you have a website, run to reach. Dot net yes. is that right? dot com, com. Yes. and um and you list all your marathons so people need yes. to go check it out and actually i bet you some of the people listening who love runcationing i mean this is a yes. thing right people it is love a thing. this yes. i bet you some of them are going to want to join you or meet up with oh you oh my gosh that would be absolutely incredible all right. Well, we'll we'll make a big call for people to check it out and throw their hats in the ring. Um, of the races you've already done, share some stories yeah. and rec- You know, give us some recommendations. Should we be looking Ooh. at any of these? Let's see. Um, the Paris Marathon. I'm a little bit biased just because it it was actually the first marathon where I truly rolled out of bed and just went there, but. I also had food poisoning a few days before, so that was a very interesting experience. Um, Oh, yeah, that actually, that's a whole side discussion on uh, cuisine, international cuisine. Yes, Yes, absolutely. Um, But some favorite ones, I think I loved, I did a marathon in Myanmar, and you... um, the marathon was through all of the temples in Bagan and that felt really pretty surreal. Um, I think the last two marathons I've ran were also out of an out of body experience. Um, 
the one um, in Western Sahara running 42 kilometers across the Sahara Desert with no one around. I mean, there's maybe miles um, stretches where I didn't see a single person in front of me, behind me, and it was just the desert. That was that was incredible. Um, and then this last marathon in Guatemala, we literally ran up twice um, a 2200 meter. I I don't know that in feet. Um, volcano active volcano too so um that was very cool wow that is absolutely yeah. awesome yeah oh my gosh you're making me want to start running long distances again oh no <laughs> so um you know we just touched on it briefly but you mentioned getting food poisoning so this is yes. actually an issue for a lot of people who you know we but there's so many options out there these days that Yes. People kind of we we restrict ourselves a little, and I know when um when we were racing, my husband and I, Tim, always talked about developing an iron gut. Like yes. you have to be able to eat a lot of different stuff and keep it down in yes. order to be successful, because you don't know what they're going to have on the race course, and 100%. your race day plan may not go as planned. So, yes. so yeah, talk a little bit about that. Like what you've been your experience of like respecting the culture, but not maybe eating all the food or <laughs> yeah. you've got some good food stories for us. Um, I mean, it's funny, the marathon a couple weeks ago in Western Sahara. So what was so um, amazing about this marathon too. So this marathon took place at a refugee camp. Um, and all marathon participants stayed with the refugee family for the week. And um, so they were cooking all the food. And I mean, amazing food. You know, I just, I love trying all sorts of local foods and local delicacies. But, um, you know, every single day, their main um, source of protein is camel meat. Um, and so that's, they used camel meat for everything, for dips, for, you know, obviously stews. And I, I found, I don't eat a lot of meat in general. And so I just found that it was, you know, a few days before the race, I had to, to tell the, my host mother, um, the the um, family that was hosting me there that I just, I'm, I was so sorry, but I could not um, continue eating camel meat for every meal, like maybe one meal, but I just needed a break. And it wasn't because I didn't like it, but it's just because I was a little bit nervous that on race day, I was going to have issues. Um, but, but I mean, otherwise, I mean, I feel like a lot of these countries as long as they have a lot of carbs like I I feel fine for the race and you can sort of stick to that and it's sort of worked out well um but yeah but that's sort of been my experience oh that is so funny and you need to figure out how to do this stuff in like a respectful way so hopefully yes. they weren't offended <laughs> no not at all I mean I think they've hosted other marathon participants before and I think people everyone sort of has their weird food stuff um but uh, but no, they were, they were fine. Yeah. All right. So camel meat only in small doses. Yes. Um, tell me <laughs> exactly. a little bit too about how do you stay health, like uninjured and healthy? You know, traveling, you can tend yeah. to be uh, exposed to all kinds of bugs out there too. Yes, absolutely. And I think, so I went straight from um, Western Sahara to Guatemala. So it was a 13 um, hour plane ride back to Paris. I had a few hours in Paris and I went and it was an 18 hour plane flight back or to Guatemala from there back to back. So I think that was pretty challenging. I've never done that before, right before a race. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think overall I stretch a lot, you know, even days I'm not running or I don't even have my running clothes on. I will just spend five hours doing a good stretch and you know to this day knock on wood I've never really gotten injured or had experienced any serious injury and I really do believe that it has a lot to do with just constantly stretching um you know when I can when I am home I do eat a lot of plant-based foods um a lot of veggies and sort of getting all the different nutrients in my body that I think I need to sort of not get sick and not get injured. So um, that's sort of been my um, my method so far, but but knock on wood, I hope, I hope it keeps working. 
Okay, I'm sorry. You just said you do five hours of stretching. That's like a part-time job. No, 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 no. Five minutes, five minutes. Did I say five hours? I, I meant five so. minutes. Yes. No, sorry. But five I minutes. have read, I recently read about, I think David Goggins doing like three hours yeah. of stretching a day. So I was like five hours. Hey, I mean, no, maybe she does. I, I, you know, I would, I love stretching so much as almost, I love it as much as running, but, um, but no, I, unfortunately <laughs> five, five minutes max. Okay. Um, <laughs> usually, usually after, after a run, I do normally do like at least 15 to 20 minutes, um, of stretching if I can. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. you're not absolutely completely like crazy consumed, only partly yes. crazy consumed. Um, yeah. okay. So big part of this is about giving back to charities. Yes. So, and you're encouraging people to, you know, help donate. And how are you raising money? How did you choose the charities? Like, maybe you can share a little bit more about this. Yeah. So, you know, I I think this is actually the most exhausting process of really organizing this project um, because I felt sort of a moral duty to find organizations um, that you know, were very transparent in what they were doing in each of the countries, um, you know, showed some sort of enthusiasm working with me, um, trying to get me as involved as much as possible with what they were doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm very new to the art of fundraising. Um, so if anyone has any tips too, I'm, I'm very open, um, for any sort of suggestions. But as of now, you know, I'm trying to, my goal is to raise a hundred thousand in total, um, for all of the 20 charities. So my goal is to hopefully by the end, be able to donate 5,000 per charity. Um, I'm now uh, organizing some some talks at, at companies, some motivational talks, and in exchange, um, these companies would donate towards the charities. Um, but this is honestly something I'm still figuring out. And I, you know, I've up until this point almost raised 8,000. And that's sort of just going through my close network. So I think, you know, my strategy now is to just be able to, to um, access as many individuals as possible and sort of also, you know, informing them about these really amazing organizations that um, I've chosen to work with who in their own ways are doing such incredible things for each of the countries. Well, maybe give them, um, give a couple examples of what the charities are focused on. Yeah. So I think I would, all of the organizations I chose to partner with, were sort of chosen to fit this model I had in mind of empowering local communities. I felt like that was the main sort of umbrella term. Um, and within this theme, um, each organization works to tackle three crucial issues I had in mind um, by you know, elevating and recognizing the power of untold stories. I chose a lot of, a number of organizations who were, who had um, female empowerment programs um, to empower women to define their own identities and sort of um, become more powerful individuals. And I also, I mean, there are a number of marathons and running that are taking place truly in very remote parts of the earth and so I maybe um I've chosen four or five organization environmental um conservation organizations as well so yeah so all of them all of the organizations I would say would fall under these three themes of um you know female empowerment environmental conservation also conflict resolution as well cool okay that's awesome mm -hmm. so so you're definitely making a change here. And when people, if they feel called to donate, do you have a yes. GoFundMe? So I actually have, um, I have a GoFundMe, but it's for my own personal travels. And if, if I had to ask people to donate, it would actually be towards my Fundly account, which is all of those proceeds. The proceeds um, goes towards the 20 um organizations and so that website is um www.fundly.com slash run to reach 
Okay, awesome, awesome. And we'll put a link in the show notes for that too. Great, thank you. So we we touched briefly on the fact that you met a husband when you were 22. The thing you're doing right now seems like, oh, this is so great for like a single person to globetrot. I mean, how does a marriage fit into an endeavor like this? Oh, man. I mean, the crazy thing is, too, we only got married six months ago. And uh, before that, we had been doing a year and a half long distance. Um, Mark was still in Tokyo and I had moved to Paris before him. Uh, So, but I think, you know, he's incredibly supportive. And I actually came up with this idea while we were on our honeymoon. And, um, you know, from day one, I think he saw just how excited I was with the project. And he's never seen me so alive and feel so passionate about anything. So, um, so yeah, so I think, you know, we're at the beginning of this journey. He's been so supportive. And, you know, I think also, the moment I get home from any of these trips, it's sort of that that best feeling in the world when we see each other again. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be an interesting first year of marriage. I don't think it's what he was expecting, but um, he's been incredibly supportive and I think just loves sort of following me on this journey along the way too. Oh man, he sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, so a lot of people are dreamers and a lot of people are doers and you strike me as someone who's a dreamer and a doer. Um, So I guess my question is, have you always been that way? And do you see yourself that way? Um, Yes, 100%. Um, I sort of joke to myself that I think all of the closest people around me are in my life are my anchors to bring me back to earth from time to time. Just more pragmatic, realistic humans, um, just because my thoughts and ideas are always high above the clouds. Um, I think since I've started this project, interestingly, I feel much more present. I feel like before I was always living, you know, five years ahead of time and always dreaming, always feeling like I I wanted to do something else. I want to do something new. But I think since I've started this Rent to Reach, um, I've been really focused on the now. And it's even hard for me to think two months in the future because I have so much going on like ahead of me. Um, But yeah, I've always always been a dreamer. And even, you know, moving to Japan after college, um, you know, I was set on going to Asia. And even looking back, my friends in college were like, what are, what are you doing? Like, you, you know, you have no connection to these places. And, um, but I just, I, I, I do like to, to try as much as I can to make any of my dreams sort of happen. And some, a lot of times they don't happen, but I feel like the, the certain dreams that were meant to happen have sort of been able to, to come to life. So That's really cool. You know, what advice do you have for people who find themselves living five years ahead? It's tough because I think, you know, sometimes that can be, you know, I I do think it's really important to try your hardest to, to be more centered and to be more present in the now moment. And especially towards the end of me living in Tokyo, I was, you know, living five years ahead because I I didn't want to be there any longer. I I didn't, you know, I was trying to focus on where I was going next so much. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, it's hard. I'm still, I'm still trying, you know, this is still a lesson I'm, I'm learning every day of trying to live more in the now and, I think having a nice mix of both, you know, having dreams, you know, working towards a goal is very important, but I think it's equally as important to, to be able to sort of reality check yourself, you know, where am I now? How can I enjoy this moment more or where I am in the, my current state, um, et cetera. So, so yeah, having a good mix of both um, present and future in your life. Yeah. Being in the present is hard. It definitely yes. is. Um, yes. Well, let's talk about the present for a minute as far as I want you to like, it's kind of the past, but go back to one of your races. And yes. 
We all know, everybody knows that no race ever goes 100% according to plan. Like you have to share some story from the field where something (laughs) crazy happened out there and how you handled it. Oh, man. I guess my best marathon story. Um, So it was my third marathon in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I, again, was sort of a marathon newbie. I thought you could just show up the day of the race and pick up your bib. That's sort of what I had done in in Tokyo. And then I had done the race in Korea the year before. And anyways, the day of the race, I showed up. I asked, you know, where do you pick up your bib? And they were like, oh, you were supposed to do that three days ago. I'm so sorry you're not able to to run the race. Um, And of course, I immediately start freaking out. You know, all of these thoughts of the hours I had poured into training sort of and all of those hours going to waste and getting very emotional over that. So I was running around trying to find anyone who'd give me a bib for this marathon. And finally, someone was just like, you know, you should just run the race. Like, who cares if you have a bib? Just run the race. Um, But because I stretched so much before and after all of my running, I just didn't have time to stretch before this race because I was running around like a crazy person finding my bib. Um, So I ended up running the race without a bib. And the funny thing was, like, the majority of the people running this marathon, they were all majority local Asian and so sort of this you know blonde girl just in the middle of them running this race with everyone without a bib and probably like halfway through the race like maybe 14 miles in I looked down and my quad muscles were just sticking out of my leg (laughs) like I was cramping so badly and then But I was just determined I had to finish this race. And I was also determined to get a good time. And Mark, my husband, was at the end and he was still timing how fast my marathon was going to be. So for probably the rest of the race, like almost half the race, I ran straight legged, complete straight legged because I was cramping so badly. Um, But but I finished and um, I still was super happy at the end, even though I was in a lot of pain. But that's probably my craziest marathon story. Oh my God. And then did you also get like, you know, yelled at cause you didn't have a bib on and they were like, <laughs> I mean, I think you paid for just, the race though. I did pay for the race. I think they just thought it was like some weird foreigner that was just, you know, <laughs> randomly so joining funny. this race and they didn't want to like comment. Um, I didn't get any comments at all. Okay. And I think, but I, I did get a lot of stares when I was running completely straight legged. Well, yeah, because (laughs) they could not say anything because they were like, this woman has way more problems than like not having a bib. That is so funny. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good Um, Lord. Okay, but then after that, you started reading all the pre-race emails and figured out you need to get there early. Yes, a few days before, and I feel so dumb that, but you know, you learn from your mistakes and like it's still a funny story that I I tell to this day. Absolutely. I mean, that's the only way we learn most of the time. So you will turn 30 in June of 2020. You have 17 marathons to go, right? Yes, I have 17 marathons to go. Almost two per month. Yeah. Wow. What's the next one? Um, The next one is in South Africa, which is next month. And then right after that is Kyrgyzstan. And then Sierra Leone, just back to back, um, wow. those three. Yeah. And so do you train in between or is this just a, a true test of like race and recover, race and recover? Um, well, now I do have a few weeks in Paris, so I will focus on a lot of cross training, I think, just to be able to build my upper body strength and my hamstrings, et cetera. I think that's even more important than just logging in miles now. Um but but during these marathons, when I'm sort of traveling, I, I don't really have an opportunity to train in between. So for me, just making sure I do a lot of stretching is sort of my only way to keep um, to make sure that my body will stay in shape. That's a really good point. And uh, I think it's really smart, too, because 
when you're doing a, a load like that back to back, I mean, definitely the stretching, maybe not five hours a day, but more than yes. five minutes um, <laughs> yes. definitely yes, helps. So what is going to happen to Liz Warner after mm-hmm. you turn 30 and this endeavor is over? You know, I'm so open for the project to go in so many directions. Um, I really think, I mean, this has been such an eye-opening experience for me also working with these organizations and just seeing how many limitations or how many obstacles these organizations face in reaching more publics. And um, I really hope to somehow tackle this issue in some way. I haven't figured it out yet. Um, But just also, you know, I think the end goal for this project for me, and I don't know if it's you know, will lead me to the end, but is to really um, inspire people to find a cause that they feel passionate about. And so, you know, yes, I do have this goal of 30 marathons before I turn 30, but I really hope that this project sort of, um, again, goes in in a lot of different other directions that could lead me um, to another path. Uh, once this all ends afterwards, but I have no idea what that is yet. And good, because yeah. actually, after I asked that question, I realized, well, we're supposed to be living in the now. Exactly, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, this is awesome. Okay. Well, on that yeah. note, then we are going to wrap it up and uh, yeah. make sure that we send people to all the great places they can go to follow you to donate yes. to these causes and more. Um, but before Thank we you. do. Yes. I am going to ask you the question I ask every guest who comes on the show. And that yes. is, if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little yes. nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? You know, I think, again, sort of thinking about the world at large now and the problems that we all face think it's important for each of us to find, you know, one cause or one small thing that they can do to either better the planet or, you know, empower any sort of community through this one cause. I think that's what we all sort of need to do and, and should do. And because there's so many, again, issues that are facing us all over the world I think it's important to really narrow down on on one thing and that will make all of these issues you know so much more um you know able to be tackled in the future and um so yeah so I guess that's my one piece of advice um for people sort of wanting to make a dent in changing the world um running a better world etc I love it. And it ties right into the title of my podcast. Yay! <laughs> which is what? Which is Run This World Run with this Nicole de Boom, which should yes. be Run oh, This okay. World with Liz Warner. Oh, the episode. Yeah, we haven't named this yet, but okay. gosh, okay. we're, we're going to come up with a good one. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, Liz, this is so amazing. I cannot wait to see how the next three marathons go. And uh, thank you. Going to be following you and can't wait thank to hear you. more stories from the road. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nicole, for having me. All right. I'm back. Wow. There is something about Liz's voice that's just so calming and soothing. Like running 26.2 times 30 is no big deal. But for her, it's just something she's doing to help make the world a better place and maybe find some personal growth along the way. And I just find that to be so perfect. I don't know many people under 30 who are setting the world on fire like Liz, but when we are lucky to find them, we need to keep them close because there just may be a moment when we feel that same fire inside and realize this is it. This is the thing I've been needing I have a feeling that some of you may feel a little stirring of excitement right now as you check out Liz's list of remaining marathons like Zimbabwe, Mongolia, Chile, Cuba, Egypt, Antarctica, the Seychelles, I think that's how you say it. I actually had to Google the Seychelles and figure out how to pronounce it, and then I forgot by the time I'm saying this. Um, 
There are amazing, magical places in the world. And if you feel called to do one of these marathons for any reason, you have a partner in Liz. So reach out to her. How cool would that be? Um, so to contact Liz, you can find her at her website, runtoreach.com. Her email is liz at runtoreach.com. It's on her website too. Um, consider donating to one of her charities, if nothing else. Everything that she has to offer is found on her website, but you can also follow her and interact with her on social media. She is just plain awesome. I truly hope you enjoyed learning more about her today. All right, then it has been real. I am off. I'm off to take Wilder to Gymnastics and Ninja. How cool is that? Strong women, strong girls. We're making the world go round here. All right, then you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and it's time for you to run this world. So have a great workout and I will see you next week.